This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the full ride on the chase most podcast we are a couple days away from the biggest day of the college football season for matt green noted pac-12 larry scott homer matt green matt how excited are you to have the pac-12 back in your life you know every year that's just that's what i wait for every year is when the pac-12 is finally back so um yeah let's do it I, I had to do some uh, some research. It was weird how a few weeks ago it kind of went through like another like reading preview articles about the Big Ten again. It's like that's a I had to do again this week, get back into the preview uh, form. But uh, yeah, Pac-12 football, gotta love it. Garber Bowl right away. We'll get into it. I'm I'm excited. Um, well, anyway, this is the uh, the preview show for. Are we in week ten? Is this week ten? It is week 10. That's crazy. Week 10 and uh, some conferences are kicking off this week. Did you uh, did you watch any Maction last night? I did get a fair share of some Maction last night, man. And it did not disappoint. Power went the, out. Uh, the power outage <laughs> and everything. But that Central Michigan-Ohio game, that was the main one I watched. And that was, uh, that was an entertaining game. Jim McElwain getting the dub. Did you see who his offensive coordinator is? Honestly... Someone looked familiar. Who was it? On Charlie Fry. Oh, okay. Former Matt Great. Yeah, like Charlie Fry is the Charlie Fry is like, look, man, if you want to have success in this league, you need to get me on your staff. How did uh, he, your power he, ranking um, shift after this game? Like, how, what are you looking at right now? Are you shaken from the results last night? Oh, yeah, man. Uh, I got to put Western Michigan way up there after that uh, big number they put on Akron. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we just gotta, we just gotta take take this all in, not overreact. You know, Ryan Corbett is he still there? Who who is over there? I don't even know who's running Western Michigan anymore. Is it Ryan Corbett? I don't know. I have no idea, to be honest. Is it was he a PJ Fleck guy? No, Ryan Corbett. I think was the coach before Fleck. He was there for like fifteen years. And he had like his son was the core. I don't remember which one was Ryan, either the son or the dad. But the Corbetts were running uh, the Bronco country. For a while, and okay. uh, that is the extent of my Western Michigan uh, yeah, knowledge. Yeah, it sounds like PJ Fleck took anyone that was worth a damn with him to Minnesota. Like even I, I saw, I remember watching that game last week. There was multiple recruits um, that were committed to Western Michigan that ended up flipping to Minnesota and going with him. So he, uh, I don't think he left left much much there in Kalamazoo. No, and I think I remember that ruffled a lot of people's feathers. I remember that being a thing of him just taking everybody. Um, but you know, I mean, what do you expect? It's uh, it's it's the big time. That's what happens. You get a, you get a good coach, and he's uh, he's gonna take want to take some of that good stuff he brought with him. 
Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, but yeah, all right. Well, you can uh, check out our show at chasedemonspodcast.com. You can follow Matt at Matt W and Matt underscore W underscore Green. Me at chasedemon underscore Thomas. Listen on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Uh, what have you been? Uh, what have you been reading? I know you hinted at uh, getting ready for the Pac-12 this this weekend, Matt. What have uh, What have you been perusing? Have you been going to Publix and Kroger trying to find those uh, preseason manuals and being like, oh, I guess I got to catch back up on the Pac-12. Let's go get a refresher. Yeah, that's the thing is it's like this year, I don't even know how, like not no disrespect to Phil Steele. You know, I see mm. that dude's grinding uh, and doing everything he can. But it's like at this, I feel like this season, some of that stuff is just so out of date, like with all the opt outs and the adjusted schedules and everything. But yeah, I feel like that's what I was trying to get, uh, really get familiar with more than anything. It's just who's going to be playing in the PAC 12. You know, it's like everyone hyped up Oregon for, for having the best secondary in college football coming in this year. And, and three of those guys are opting out. And then Penny Sewell, who's likely a, what top five, top 10 pick, uh, offensive tackle. He's also opted out. So, with Oregon being the Pac-12's like best shot, and then Utah was obviously eleven and three last year, and they lost their their quarterback and and Zach Moss as well. well Jake so, Bentley's there now, so things are fine. Yeah, exactly. Jake Bentley. I'm not uh I'm not gonna put too much stock into Jake Bentley, but maybe you know maybe Utah is is ready for another run. But with those being clearly the two best teams last year, I don't know. And and just six games, it's like. Even the the Big Ten getting eight games, like that's not going to hurt you. A seven and one record, it's like that looks normal, you know. But it's like yeah. if you're undefeated, then six and zero, oh, it's just almost like it looks like. I mean, it is. It, it's a half a season, you know. And so if you're not undefeated, Oregon's five and one at the end of the season. Like those teams aren't going to get any sort of consideration of the playoff. And even if Oregon is six and zero. Oh, I'm not sure you take them over Cincinnati or BYU or or a one loss second team from the sec or something so it's going to be real tough because just looking at these teams schedule it's like who are the quality teams so it's um we got a lot to find out we thought we knew a lot coming into the season about the other conferences and we've been proven wrong time after time yeah. so we'll uh we'll see i'm just i'm excited to uh get some get some late night saturday night games back i'm like well there is this i mean we'll get into usc arizona state later yeah. but yeah, but we'll, we'll move on. What are your thoughts this um, week? I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited for tomorrow night's game, big time. Like I, I, as you know, love me some Mountain West football, and I especially love me some uh, since Hawaii looks like it's gonna be a down year in the year one, zero of the Todd Graham era. Um, Hank Bachmeyer versus Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson, people forget, uh, was committed to uh, Boise. Was uh, gonna be a Boise guy because he didn't want to go to BYU at all. He ended up at BYU, um, and they have Jack Sears, who was the former USC quarterback who transferred to Boise and looked good last week. Like, there's so many different quarterback wrinkles in this game, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm I'm very hyped for BYU Boise um, tomorrow night. That and you know what's crazy? It kind of kind of Friday to, night game we need. Yeah, exactly. Sure. But it's also like something you and I have talked about in this podcast a lot this fall is that these AAC games are just like bigger than like big 12 games. And it just feels like the top of the conference is just really strong. And they're giving us the best 
games week in and week out and they're just better teams and then we look at the pac 12 versus the mountain west where i'm like mm, boise i'm looking at boise i'm looking at uh byu and then we're looking at the pac 12 and i'm like where would they fit in the pac 12 right now they're out west like they're better than colorado they're better than washington they're betting better than the Cougs. better than oregon state like i was look, thinking about it and i'm like is there a case that byu and or boise would win the pac 12 this year yeah and i think it there definitely is, and I think it came down to like a cultural thing with the uh, with the actual universities that Boise State and BYU didn't really like kind of fit that that West Coast kind of I don't know like that liberal like big time uh, very prestigious universities. You know, it seems like all the Pac-12 schools kind of fit that. But if you were if you were doing it for football, like strictly. Miss, um, mismatching the conferences for football, like BYU and Boise State definitely should have gotten those invites to the Pac-12 because those would just make that conference so much more interesting. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, some l- news and notes before we get into uh, this week's uh, preview. Uh, Minnesota's defensive coordinator is out uh, with COVID this week versus Illinois, so a rough season for Minnesota continues. Um, some very positive news. Uh, Tennessee is now number eight in ESPN's recruiting rankings for 2021. Shout out to the Vols. It's the little things, folks. Um, if you're wondering where UGA is in this ranking, it doesn't matter. We're not uh, we're not a UGA-focused podcast. Um, you, LSU, go, you go with ESPN's recruiting rankings? No, I'm not. I'm a 247 guy. Don't, okay. don't get it twisted. But uh, I am an ESPN Plus guy, so I do go through those. And I do read – there's a lot of good people at ESPN too. So I read those not, as well. I'm not trying to uh, pile on to Tennessee or whatever, mm. but I've I gotten a lot of Twitter arguments over this summer – about Tennessee's recruiting class. Everyone's just like, Jeremy Pruitt putting Tennessee at an elite class. Like, this is what it takes. And it's just like, if you looked at the actual class they had, it was like exactly on par with what they did last year. It was like, they just had like 24 commits in like June or July. So it made their class look really good. But at the end of the day, like the numerical grade of their class, it was like, it's probably going to be around the 11th, 12th, class in the country maybe maybe 10 and probably like the sixth or seventh in the sec and that's basically it's right on par where tennessee's currently at you know so i uh they they their class had a lot of hype early but i i think it's kind of coming back down to earth uh disagree and we'll cut that from the record (laughs) on this podcast because things are looking up cody brown's on the way Um, well it's like they have 26 commits like they can't go any higher you know what i mean and there's gonna be teams that have 15 16 commits that are gonna they're gonna jump on at some point the alabama effect where they had like four people what was that was that last year where they just had nobody and then they just swooped in and were like all right we'll go ahead and take number one yeah i think so and and this year alabama's class is just stupid i mean they have 22 commits and it's like they're still they're still getting crystal ball predictions for for more five stars it's like they could end up adding two or three more guys to this class like the rich get richer yeah not a fan um did you read the seth emerson jeff schultz back and forth about uga's quarterback situation on the athletic um i did not it was interesting because seth emerson we both very much like and respect in this podcast georgia beat writer um had a back and forth about how they got here and all this kind of stuff. And they, they tried to stay away from the from field stuff for obvious reasons, but something that 
I thought was interesting was just like the doomsday scenarios of like, or not even just doomsdays, like how this all plays out because so much is riding on Stetson's play this weekend where if Stetson plays well, then he secure and they beat Florida. He secures the job for the rest of the year. Dewan Mathis will absolutely be transferring. And then um, the, Georgia is in a situation where it's Stetson the rest of the way. Obviously uh, JT Daniels clearly just that's a bust and that's out of the, the question for the next year or two. Um, and then you look at Brock Vandergriff still waiting in the wings. Does Kirby trust a true freshman next year or does he go with, can he go with Bennett, Bennett again? Because guess what? Mathis is gone. Uh, JT Daniels in his little, in his little nugget here, he was saying that like, it's a combination of his health, but also just, he's not as been as good as advertised. Like he clearly has not been very good in practice and not good enough to beat out Stetson Bennett, which if you're a Georgia fan should scare the crap out of you because he should by all accounts outplay Stetson Bennett in practice um if he's healthy and that's clearly not happening and he was asking questions because Georgia doesn't allow their assistants to talk um during the season so Kirby um has a very uh no media approach um very hostile in that way and very uh secretive and they're wondering of like, is Monken and Kirby on the same page about the Bennett thing? Does Monken want Bennett the rest of the way? Does he want to throw Mathis back in there? Cause he knows that if Mathis doesn't get back in there, he's gone. And then the quarterback stuff is very complicated. It's just very interesting to extrapolate what happens after the Florida game um, in terms of the, the Georgia quarterback room, because it's, it's messy. And I think it's only going to get messier potentially. No, that's definitely a valid point. I, um, I, and I would say if if Bennett solidifies himself as a starter, not only could Mathis transfer, but JT Daniels could honestly transfer too. But And it, it's really tough to know what's going on in that situation because if he's no longer wearing a knee brace and he was medically cleared weeks ago, then maybe he is just running with the scout team and he's just not that good. You know, I, I really don't know. I I wonder if for such a big game like this, if, if Kirby and Monken kind of have some kind of plan to, you know, bring out something, show them something that Florida hasn't seen all year. It's possible, but I think the only thing Kirby can worry about right now is just winning the game. You know, it's just beating Florida and just finding a way to survive and win this game because the quarterback, regardless of who's going to be in there, it's not like if they put in JT Daniels, all of a sudden they're throwing for 300 yards a game. You know, regardless of who is playing at quarterback, it's it's the worst starter position on the team, essentially. You know, so... Whatever they do, it's they're almost doing it despite the quarterback. So I feel like Kirby's just got to figure out a way to manipulate this game, run the football, milk the clock, play great defense, and all, and just basically hide his quarterback for another game. And then, honestly, if they get past this game, I feel like the rest of Georgia's schedule kind of opens it up to maybe you do try some things because you don't have anyone the rest of the way that's what they mentioned that is should, like if they lose, should be able to beat you you can open it up again like if they lose to florida the season's over because they're they're out of the east they're not playing for anything then you go back to mathis or daniels yeah but but if you think mathis is better then it's like you give him a shot in this game you know so i think well that was something else they such... mentioned they don't like the two quarterback thing kirby does not like playing two quarterbacks that's why they only had Justin Fields in for packages. Like they didn't let him have a whole drive. They only let him, they put him in for a running play and then they pulled him back out. They didn't give him 10 plays in a row to see what he can do. They gave him packages. Like Kirby is a one quarterback guy. Yeah. And I think someone like Justin Fields, his talent was just 
so undeniable that you had to figure out a way to get him some reps. Right. And even then, they didn't seem like they really did it that successfully. So with Don Mathis, it's like he he's probably a better runner than Stetson Bennett. But if you're if you're worried about, you know, other aspects of his game, Stetson Bennett can run. So maybe just doesn't feel like he does anything better than Bennett does, you know, because I, I just hate all this, the fan speculation just because at the end of the day, as much as we care as fans, it's like Kirby Smart cares way more than we do. Like this is literally his life and he wouldn't just put a guy out there if he thought there was a quarterback on the team that was better. You know what I mean? That's right. that's just what it comes down to. Which speaks it, to where Mathis and Daniels are. I think it's got to for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll get into the Georgia, Florida stuff because it's it's fascinating. Um, are you ready to reveal where we're at picks wise heading into uh, heading into this week's picks? Because I seem to recall on Sunday's show that uh, things are looking up for uh, for me over here. It was it was a good week for you last week. Back so to back just good to, weeks. Just to refresh the listeners, uh, I went three and eight against the spread. My uh, my worst week of the season. Uh, and you went five and six against the spread. I went six and five overall, and you went eight and three overall. Big time performance. So now on the season, I am 40, 42, and one against the spread. You are 42, 40, and one against the spread. I am 52, 31, 52 and 31 overall, and you are 47 and 36 overall. So I trail you by two games against the spread. You trail me by five games overall. So uh, it's heating up. Week 10. I'm excited. Excited to build. Excited to build. So speaking of that uh, that game, are we are we starting with the Friday game? Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, and get into it. That's our, our first game on the pick'em. It is uh, Boise State three point underdog at home on the on the Smurf turf to the BYU Cougs to your BYU Cougs. What's your thoughts on this game? So the Cougars. Are zero and five all time in Boise. Um, I thought that was interesting. Blue turf. They're very adverse to winning on blue turf. Um, very important point that I found in uh, my 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 analysis and my my previewing here. Boise has a player named C. T. Thomas who caught a touchdown last week for the Broncos. Did you know this? I did not know this. There is a C. T. Thomas. On the Boise State Broncos, oh, CT Thomas. Now? I don't know. Like I've, I guess he has to be. Like I was not considering Boise in this game until I saw there was a CT Thomas. How insane is that? What are the odds of a CT Thomas existing in uh, so, college football? So you going with Boise? Is that it? Is no, that no, it? no. <laughs> I, I, I'm hold on, hold hold your horses. Um, what is the Corso line? Um, hold, not so fast, not so my fast. friend. Not yet. Yeah, not so fast. Um. We're not sure if it's going to be Sears or Bachmeyer at quarterback for Boise in this game, but I'm not sure it really matters because Sears just had so much success through the air last week for Boise. Um, what I go back and forth on with this game is that I think both offenses are going to put up points. I think both offenses are just next level. I, I think Wilson has a little bit more weapons out wide with Romney and uh, and friends. I, I like what I've seen from them in terms of being able to run teams into the ground, throw teams into the ground, but also their margin of victory 
through seven games this season is just insane. They're just beating teams up very early. And they're holding um, opponents to 13.4 points per game, 281 yards per contest. They blew out Western Kentucky last week, 41-10. The Hilltoppers, who are just bad, had three drives totaling 10 plays or more and only combined to score three points on said drives. I trust Boise's offense. I don't trust Boise's defense. And I think BYU is still the more complete team here. And I trust what they are on defense to keep them in this game and keep them just in play at Boise and get their first win on the road in, uh, in Boise, Idaho. I like that. I um I was wondering as well. I I don't think they've named a starter for this for this uh, week so far, Boise State. Because yeah, like you said, Hank oh, and they Bachme- cover too, by the way. Okay, yeah, and Hank Bachmeyer uh, missed last week, and Jack Sears basically just picked up right where he left off. But um, last year, the Boise State went eleven and one in the regular season. The one loss was to those BYU Cougars. And I think BYU is better than they were a year ago. Give me BYU. Okay. Uh, like next it. one, Big Ten. We got Indiana, three and a half point home dog. Oh, is this hosted, the home dog? Is this the reveal? Michigan. This is not my home dog. Okay. But your thoughts, Mich- uh, Indiana being a three and a half point home dog to Michigan. Michigan is 19 and one. At Memorial Stadium all time. Um, Ooh. I I love Watt Filler, Fillier. I love Michael Penix. I think this Indiana offense is fun. I think the defense is stingy. They had a really good performance against Rutgers. Um, Fillier, for people who are not aware and not watched a lot of Indiana Hoosiers football this year, is 5'11", had 137 yards in that win um last week against Rutgers he's had four games of 100 plus yards receiving in 2019 and he's uh he's right there again and guess who does not have a good secondary guess who has been exposed through two weeks uh Don Brown secondary for Michigan I am interested to see how much Indiana challenges Michigan the same way Rocky Lombardi and Ricky White challenge the secondary um at home the idea that Jim Harbaugh is losing back-to-back games, though, to an inferior Michigan State and to a, a good but not at the same level talent-wise as a Michigan Wolverines team seems very unlikely to me. I'm still a Joe Milton believer in that. I think he's one of the better quarterbacks they've had in a while. Very Denard Robinson, Devin Gardner vibes there with the way he plays. But I, I just can't bet against Jim Harbaugh back-to-back weeks, and I think we'll see the talent just kind of overwhelm Indiana as this game goes on. I think it will be close, but give me Michigan to win and cover. I am uh, I am not getting Denard Robinson vibes from Have you Joe seen the Milton. mirror? Look at uh, the amount of rushing and the amount of... Um, really? Uh, through the air and on the ground. Look, it's, it mirrors Gardner. I guess just the measurables are just You can't look at that. You gotta look at the stats, not the measurables. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I still like Joe Milton, and like everything you said, I'm just... It's almost more th- more of an intangible thing. Like I, I don't see Michigan losing two games in a row, especially like you said at Indiana. 
I don't know. This is a new era of Indiana football. I'm just still not buying them yet. I'm still kind of like, I don't know. They have a 2-0 and record, but that Penn State win is, like, do we feel the same way about Indiana if they don't pull out that that win? If, if an inch decides it differently, do we feel a little differently about Indiana? I kind of think so. So I think I think Michigan's getting the win in this one. Hmm. We agree through two games. Concerning. Stop following my lead. You're not going to catch up like this. Be, be <laughs> so better, So the mate. next one, I want to go on a mini rant here. This next game just grinds my gears, man. Does anything stand out to you about Arizona State at USC at 12 Eastern time? That means this is a 9 a.m. local kickoff. <laughs> what are we doing at 9 a.m.? Who can play a football game at 9 a.m.? Like, I understand what the Pac-12 is trying to do, trying to get into the conversation, get some eyes on your games. But I just, oh, the idea of playing a football game, a Division One football game, at 9 a.m. is just insane to me. I feel like I have no idea what to expect out of this game. Um, I, you know, you feel like those noon kickoffs in the SEC, the ones that used to be on Jefferson Pilot Sports, mm. like you just have no idea which team is going to show up. And so far, this being the first game of the season is probably the only way they don't just come out completely flat is that they're just hyped up for this first game. Um I really wasn't sure what to expect, you know, from USC. They were, I feel like Clay Hilton's already on the hot seat and the season hadn't even started. Yeah. So, but, you know, Keaton Slovis, he looked really good last year. Uh, give me, give me USC. Ten and a half's a big spread, but uh, at home with no fans probably won't make a difference. But at home, I'm going USC. I'm going USC too, but it's... I think Keaton Slovis is the best quarterback in this conference this year. And I think that's going to be a a big thing. Just having him return. Jaden Daniels, I think is awesome too, but I, I just trust USC's offense and St. Brown and a lot of the guys they have on the edge against this Arizona state defense that I, I think they're just going to score too much for Arizona state. Arizona state wins those like 17, 14 games. Um, And you ask how, these two teams are going to get up for a 9 a.m. kickoff. Um, Herm Edwards is going to get these dudes up. He is going to be rocking. I like. There is no doubt Herm Edwards gets up no later than 4 a.m., right? I'm sure. Hello? <laughs> like, he's, he's going to be up. He's going to have those guys ready to play. Um, I don't know. I think this is insane that this is happening in game one for the pac 12 because these are probably the two best teams in the pac 12 south and they're just going to go ahead and it'd be like georgia and florida playing week one it's uh it's very strange but um at nine in the morning yeah at nine in the morning so shout out to larry scott on another job well done um yeah give me uh give me usc to win and cover all right i just i always hated those games like growing up like youth youth league like playing like 8 a.m 9 a.m it's like how, how can i get up for this i need <laughs> i need prime time i need the bright lights on me no but um all right moving on into the big 12 uh we got west virginia on the road at texas honestly texas is getting such like a I feel like it's such name recognition for them to be ranked right now like no other team with texas's resume right now would be ranked but I digress. 
They're a six and a half point favorite versus West Virginia. Chase, West Virginia at home this year is four and zero. On the road this year, they are zero and two. They are not in their uh, friendly confines of a. Was it Mountaineer Stadium? I think I don't know. Not important. I'm going Texas. <laughs> I think I it's think Carter West, Field. <laughs> I don't think West Virginia is the same team on the road. I think Texas, Sam Ellinger, get it done. Win by a touchdown. <sighs> no Keontae Ingram in this game for Texas. Um, it doesn't seem to matter because Sam Ellinger, I believe, is their leading rusher this season. Um, he did not rush well last year. He got uh, last week against Oklahoma State. He got beat up pretty bad by oklahoma state last week it took a lot for texas to beat oklahoma state last week oklahoma state was the better team oklahoma state had turnovers they did some dumb stuff late they lost spencer sanders threw all over texas west virginia is maybe the most balanced team in the big 12 this year outside of oklahoma state there's a lot of similarities between west virginia and oklahoma state the more i study these two teams west virginia has run 485 plays on offense this year 243 have been rushes 242 have been passes like they are let's run one let's pass one let's run one let's pass one neil brown slow and steady wins the race texas on the other hand is a our drives mostly suck but we are an explosive ass team when we have our you know what together they lead the big 12 and are fourth in the country in scoring drives of less than two minutes they are the antithesis of the tennessee volunteer offense they strike (laughs) quick they strike fast and then they do nothing for a quarter and a half um the longhorns they've scored 16 times this season on possessions of less than two minutes 13 of those have taken less than a minute and 30 off the clock I don't think they can play like this back-to-back weeks against teams like West Virginia and Oklahoma State. I don't. I don't believe they can do this in back-to-back weeks and survive. Give me the Mountaineers to get their first road win of the season under Neil Brown and to smother a hobbled Sam Ellinger in Texas and uh, outlast the Longhorns on the road. Okay, a little, little disagreement finally. Um, I don't, yeah, I, I don't feel confident about that one just because it's the big 12 and it's like, Oh, Texas with a big win over Oklahoma state. Maybe they're better than we thought. And then probably next week they'll just, they'll just lose and just come right back down. But that's why we play the games. Uh, next one, the, uh, ranked for the first time in school history, number 25, Liberty flames, 14 and a half point underdog. You're using the, the, the term school very loosely here when describing Liberty. So let's, Uh, let's, let's, let's not call it. Are you taking a shot at Liberty (laughs) at the fine institution that is Liberty university? How dare you, sir? No, my mistake. My mistake. Yeah. Um, I have no idea. I don't know anything about the school. What is it? A big, is a big commuter, uh, population or something. We 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 don't need to get into it on air. We we don't need to get into it on air. (laughs) <laughs> all right uh so virginia tech at home uh versus liberty virginia tech's 14 and a half point favorite uh you know liberty's been a cute story this year hugh freeze he's gonna get back into a power five job with the job he's doing at liberty so far but virginia tech 
they're not Syracuse. All right. That's Liberty had, I think, a big win over Syracuse a couple weeks ago. Virginia Tech averaging almost 300 yards a game on the ground. I think they got more, just more, more dudes on their team. I think Virginia Tech uh, takes care of Liberty. What are your thoughts? What is the spread now? Is it 16 and a half or 14 and a half? 14 and a half is, okay. is what we have it at. So the Hokies, like you mentioned, very like Hendon Hooker has established himself as the starter. They haven't gone back to bank Buck and Meyer, whatever his name is, uh, in three weeks. It's Hendon Hooker's job. Um, they run the ball all the time. They are first in power five schools in rushing offense and fourth in the country. The thing is, though, Liberty plays the exact same way. Liberty cannot pass the football either. Malik Willis, you probably remember that name, Auburn. You remember that he was actually committed to Virginia Tech at one point. Um, Malik yeah, Willis. Big time transfer. Yeah, he was a member of that 2017 recruiting class, but he was recruited as an athlete. A quarterback. It's a very strong Nick Marshall vibes to uh, Malik Willis. Um, he's running all over teams that they're playing. But like you said, their strength of schedule leaves a lot to be desired. They have no big wins. They're not one of the 25 best teams in the country. Virginia Tech is a much better football team than Liberty. Louisville, Louisville is a much better football team than Liberty. Give me Virginia Tech to winning in cover. All right. Yeah, you're right. Malik Willis, almost 100 yards a game on the ground, six touchdowns through the first five games for Liberty. So that could be an equalizer there. Uh, and then we go back to the Big 12. Oklahoma State coming off a first loss of the season. They go to the Little Apple, Manhattan, Kansas. For our home dog of the week, 12.5 point underdog, Kansas State. This is a big spread. I just don't see that many blowouts happening in the, in, uh, in the Big 12, especially when a team is at home. I like Kansas State. I mean, I don't even know what their quarterback situation is at that point. At this point, if I'm being honest, it's week in a week, at, week in and week out, it just it it seems like you don't really know what you're getting with Kansas State. But I think Oklahoma State gets the win, but I think Kansas State keeps it close. Oh, I, I know what you're getting with Kansas State, a bad football team. So they lost their offensive line. They're, they when Kleiman came in, it was a veteran heavy group. It's very young. Um, Deuce Vaughn's nursing a hand injury. Uh, Will Howard is throwing the ball way too much. Uh, they, they, This is the recipe for a disaster. If you remember what Oklahoma State, like I mentioned, what they did to Texas and Sam Ellinger in that game, um, this defense is great. And this offense is great. This is a well-oiled machine, still probably the best team in the Big 12 that just... <sighs> such a shame what they did last week. Pokes, what are you doing? Um, Oklahoma State is going to throttle this kansas state team they are 12th in the nation in total defense will howard is going to be overmatched they're going to get into turnover heavy football it uh give me the give me the pokes to bounce back and win big i don't know if you can say kansas state is a bad team i, I think they're like bad been... now i think losing their quarterback losing deuce vaughn healthy with that offensive line i think they're they're sliding into badness yes Fair enough. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna die on the Kansas State Hill. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, moving on to the Pac-12, 7:30 ABC. We got Oregon, 11 and a half point favorite at home versus Stanford, which this just seemed like 
a bad game to start the season off to me. Like Pac-12 should have should have saved this one a little down the line, but um, I obviously gave some reasons why I don't think Oregon is going to be in the playoff this year. But I think this week at home, I still like them to get to cover eleven and a half points over Stanford. I just don't really know what Stanford has either. I uh, I'm a believer in Oregon. I have no idea who's even under center for Oregon this week, right? They're not revealing it until the game. No. So, I mean, I'm I guess, sure like, I don't know what to say about this game because in a lot of these Pac-12 games where it's just like, what are we doing? Like, I, I'm betting on Oregon. Like, I don't think Pac-12 is getting a race from the playoff week one, but I don't feel great about it. I don't know what we're going to see. Like, I kind of like Stanford's quarterback. We know who we're getting there. Greater Atlanta Christian School legend. Um, I guess Oregon, but I don't feel good about it. I don't know. Let's go Oregon. But th- like you said, the top of the show, no Panay Soul, no secondary. Um, a lot of opt outs, a lot of questions. Um, lost their defensive coordinator last year to another job. Um, first game for Joe Moorhead as the OC. Like a lot of lot of change there. A lot of lot of change. Um, but yeah, I guess give me the ducks to win and cover and sure. (laughs) Yeah. That's about as, as much confidence as I have in it. But, uh, this one, I'll let you take this one first. Mm. We got, uh, going out to Fayetteville, Arkansas. Arkansas is a one and a half point dog to Tennessee at home. So Tennessee's coming in slightly favored, basically a pick them. What are your thoughts on this one? I know this game opened with Arkansas as the favorite. Is that right? It's well, yeah. changed as the week has gone on. Um, so, Tennessee's had two weeks. Arkansas's not. Um, Felipe Franks, the last time uh, I think he played Tennessee, he had the Hail Mary win for Florida against against the Vols. Oh, um, is that the last time? What was I that, think 20... so. It was 2017, right? 17? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, this Tennessee offense is bad. They're averaging 328 yards per game, which is 88th in the country, 135 rushing yards, 70, 70th in the country. Their, uh, offensive line somewhere in the 28th percentile. I saw, um, it's going to be Garantano. It's going to be a situation where if Tennessee plays Arkansas like they played Mizzou, they'll be fine. If they play like they played against Kentucky, they will not be fine. They will get destroyed. Rakeem Boyd has not been very good for Arkansas. These two teams both have bad offenses. They both haven't run the ball as well as they should. They both have options out wide. Josh Palmer should get involved early in this game. Jalen Hyatt looks like he is going to get utilized a lot more in this game, which is good in the rest of the season. I am concerned, though, that Bryce Thompson is going to have to have a big day here. And I'm concerned that DeAndre Johnson is not going to be able to get home on Fleet Bay Franks very much. I am not certain about how good of a matchup this is for Tennessee and Garantano versus Barry Odom in this stingy Arkansas defense. That being said, if I bet against Tennessee here, Tennessee's going three and seven. If I don't, they're going four and six and things are 
not fine, but they're okay, at least for one more year. I have to pick Tennessee here to win and cover. I have to. This is the season this week. So is this is this what you're basing it off? What you what you think is going to happen, or I think it's going to happen. I think they're going to come out prepared and play like Pruitt's job, maybe, or Jim Cheney's job depends on it. So yes, give me the Vols to win and play the smartest game they've played of the season. Well, uh, I'm going to have to correct a previous statement you made that uh, Felipe Frank's last time playing Tennessee was actually 2018. Was he in that game? I thought yes. Okay, they were Florida won. Florida won that one big, right? Okay, that was. Uh, I don't see the score right, but off the top. But I, looking at his stats, he went nine of 18, 172 yards, and three touchdowns, no picks. Also had a rushing touchdown. Yeah, that was a game that uh, that floor that Florida won big. So. 47-21 was the final score of that game. So uh, looking at Arkansas, I feel like I just don't know how legitimate they are in terms of just – yeah, I, I don't know what to expect, expect out of them week to week. But uh, this defense has been opportunistic. Like they haven't been statistically like the best as in terms of giving up yards and points. But they have been getting turnovers, and they're second in the, in, in the uh, SEC with 10 interceptions so far. And I think – you know, just one too many mistakes by Guarantano, and I think I think Arkansas wins a close one here. Mm. And then going out to the Pac-12, this one might not happen. Uh, there's been some some rumblings of of COVID things going on with this game, but uh, Cal is a one point favorite, essentially a pick 'em over Washington at ten thirty on Saturday night. What are your thoughts on this game? It's the Garber Bowl. Ethan Garbers. Younger brother of Chase Garbers, Cal's quarterback, true freshman. Looks like he's going to get the start if this game happens. Um, so at least we got that going for us. New Donovan is coming in there and uh, as the OC for Washington and Jimmy Lake's first season running this Washington team without Mr. Peterson. Um, I like Cal. I think Wilcox has done a really amazing job given the circumstances that he was coming into. Um when Garbers is healthy, that Cal team is good. And when he was not last year, they faltered. Um, it's not Bo Baldwin running there at offense anymore. I believe it's Bill Musgrave. Um, I trust that offense more than I trust what Washington's going to bring to the table. And I think it's asking a lot for a true freshman to come in right away and beat this this Cal team. So uh, give me Cal to win and cover. Yeah, I feel the same way. Uh, Cal has... Uh, increase their win total each of the last two seasons. Obviously, they're not going to do that this year because they only play six games. But um, I also like Cal in this one. But like we said at the top, our Pac-12 analysis at this point, you know, is just throwing <laughs> throwing shit at the wall and see if it sticks, you know. But uh, moving on, college game day this week. No Trevor Lawrence. Clemson at Notre Dame. Clemson is a five and a half point favorite on the road. What are your thoughts about this one, sir? Lock of the week. Uh, Clemson is beating Notre Dame and covering. Let's go ahead and lock that one up. That is a uh, done deal. DJ Leahy is um, going to go into Notre Dame, throw a lot of touchdown passes, and um, 
Notre Dame is not going to be able to win football games with Ian Book going 15 of 25 for 185 yards and uh, a touchdown and no picks. It, uh, it's not enough. This offense is not good. They don't have enough. Honestly, if he did that in this game, they might have a shot if he was if he was that efficient and didn't turn the ball over. But um, there is one team in the ACC this year that is better than Clemson in in points allowed, rushing yards allowed, and passing yards allowed. Do you know who that team is? Louisville. That would be the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Oh, okay. So their defense is has been legit this year. I thought you were saying the other way. I thought you were saying the worst. Okay, hold on. Oh no! The, I missed yeah, what one, you're saying. One okay. team has been better than Clemson in all three of okay. those categories. Pittsburgh is actually the the best run defense in the ACC, but Notre Dame has had a good defense. I think without Trevor Lawrence, I see this being a game into the fourth quarter. But I think ultimately, I see Clemson with probably a double digit win in this one. So another agreement there. But uh, and now we move on. That was College Game Day, so that's what some people think is the national game of the week. But the true national game of the week. Number five, Georgia. Number eight, Florida. In Jacksonville, world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Georgia comes in. This spread has been all over the place, I think, this week. But we got it at three and a half points for Georgia. Chase, what are your thoughts? I'm excited that it's finally here. I'm excited we can move on from from this nonsense that is... George's offense being able to score enough points to to beat the Florida Gators. I'm finally ready. But Dan Mullen's antics last week. Like it um I'm glad that like I said on Sunday's recap pod that uh Dan Mullen has Florida back as a competent scary villain that has a fun offense, loves the fact that they're villains and uh yeah, they uh this this is good. I don't know who's covering Kyle Pitts in this game. I don't know if Florida's offensive line can handle Georgia's defensive line. I don't know if Florida, who, let me check my notes here. Yeah, their run defense, absolutely terrible. 97th in the nation in run defense success rate. But when you look at why they lost to Texas A&M, it was the combination of Spiller and friends. But it was also Kelamon threw for 300 yards. I don't think Stetson Bennett can throw for 300 yards on Florida. I don't think Stetson Bennett can get Georgia's offense to over 30 points. They've only done it twice this year. 37 against Arkansas, 44 against Tennessee. A lot of, lot of stuff has to go right for Stetson, I think, in this game to win. Like, I think there's a lot of pass for Florida to win this football game. If Kyle Trask has time, Florida wins this game comfortably. If Kyle Trask does not have time and is forced to into, uh, you know, the same kind of mistakes that Garantano found himself in, then yeah, Florida will be in a dogfight. I I don't know. Like you saw Monken get away from the run. We've seen them do dumb stuff where the Alabama game where they should have just been running it, running it, running it, and they didn't. Does Monken get cute here? Does he let Stetson Bennett throw the ball around a little bit too much and get Jordan in a situation where they're down 14 to three against a pass happy offense that just has mismatched guys everywhere? Um, no lookout in this game. I I don't know. If if Dan Mullen doesn't do it this year, he's never going to do it. This is the one big, big shot he has to take down Georgia and win the East. It's the year that Stetson Bennett is under center and this offense stinks. Like, I don't think this is going to be the norm for Georgia going forward. But this offense stinks. Your offense is elite. 
Saban said it. Offense wins titles now. Go prove where you belong that you you are the better head coach in this division. Go do it. Go prove it. And I think he does and wins. And Florida wins. And Florida obviously will cover because they are not favored. So give me Florida. All right, you definitely made some valid points there. I um I have I have some stats to throw out at you. I'm ready. So so far the w- the winner of the rushing yards has won this game 14 years in a row. Ooh, interesting. 14 years. If you go back, the last time that the winner of the rushing yard battle didn't win this game, unfortunately, it feels like the most comparable Georgia quarterback to this year was 2005 when DJ Shockley was out and Joe Tereshinsky was running quarterback for Georgia. That's the last time the loser of the rushing yards won this game. So looking at like looking at the the stats, like the offenses are just night and day. You know, Florida has just been not only how much better they've been just statistically all around, but just the way they've done it too. But I want to I want to show you the defenses that these two teams have played in terms of points per game allowed. So Georgia, so far this year, Georgia has played the second, third, fourth, fifth, and 11th teams in the SEC in points per game allowed, while Florida has played the 7th, 9th, 10th, and 14th. I think that's worth noting because Florida just has not really faced a great defense this year. And it's also worth noting that the 7th best defense they played, that was Texas A&M, and they lost that game. So... Looking at what quarterbacks do against Georgia versus what quarterbacks do against Florida, so far uh, quarterbacks are completing 59% of their passes, seven touchdowns, and six picks against Georgia this year. Against Florida, guys are averaging, quarterbacks are averaging 300 yards per game, 66% completion percentage, eight touchdowns, and just one pick. Florida has one interception. DBU, they got one interception in four games. I feel like this this notion that Georgia can't hang in a shutout, I just don't know if it's true because Florida just doesn't have it's you know it's it's strength for strength and weakness for weakness and I I kind of think that's an equalizer. So Florida's offense, while it is great, I feel like it's it's great because of how good Dan Mullen is. Like Kyle Pitts is an elite talent, but I don't see one other player on Florida's offense that is an elite talent. Not Tony's even an elite talent. Tony's Tony's good, but he also, I mean, he's been around for four years and may, you know, maybe it takes some guys longer to develop, but he was getting playing time as a freshman, as a sophomore, as a junior. And now, and he's, he's never produced the way he's producing right now, you know? So maybe they finally figured out a way, a way that, you know, to get him involved in the offense. But I just, I feel like the first time I saw Kadarius Tony when he was a freshman, I was like, damn, this dude looks like a throwback Florida player, like the Jeff Dems and the Chris Rainey's of the world. But he just still hasn't really produced like that until this year. And so I just wonder, I, it's hard for me to give an edge to Dan Mullen when everyone in the world wants to give the edge to Dan Mullen over Kirby Smart when he's never beaten Kirby Smart. You know what I mean? It's just... They've won. He's won three and three years in a row that Georgia's beaten Dan Mullen. Two two of those years at Florida, but that was also one of his best Mississippi t- State teams that that played Georgia in 2017. So, I um, it's Georgia. Don't get me wrong. Georgia is a very flawed offense, and 
with Richard LeCount being gone and Jordan Davis, you know, there's there's some thoughts that he might be able to play in some capacity. It doesn't sound like this defense is as banged up as we thought coming out of Kentucky last week. They uh, Quay Walker was was questionable. Lewis Seen, the other starting safety, was questionable. Monty Rice was questionable. It's looking like all of those guys should play this week, and so I think that will definitely change some things. But um, uh, just looking at, I, I think Alabama just, even though statistically they they do have some similarities with Alabama, it's just Devonte Smith, Jalen Waddle, uh, Mechie. I'm I'm forgetting his first name right now. In Najee Harris, it's like those those dudes were just something you can't you can't plan for. Just elite talent is not something you can scheme for. Georgia Kirby Smart knows how to scheme to beat good offenses. And if if Florida doesn't have one of those elite kind of players that you just there's just a complete mismatch, you know. And Kyle Pitts is great. Don't get me wrong, but a tight end. I still question a tight end's ability to affect a game as much as an elite running back or an elite wide receiver. You know what I mean? I could be off in that in that thinking, but that's still my thoughts, is that to beat this Georgia defense, you have to be able to run the ball. And Alabama fed Najee Harris 30 carries in that game, and that just kept Georgia's defense honest. If Florida's going to be one-dimensional, it's just going to be throwing five-yard passes the whole game and expecting – their receivers to make plays after the catch after the catch. I think that's that's it's a a formula that's not going to work against Georgia because so far this year, seventy one percent of Kyle Trask's passing yards are yards after the catch. So that's what he's relying on these to get the ball to the playmakers and have them break tackles and make big plays. And I think Georgia is just by far a superior defense to anyone they've played so far this year. So uh, I think it's going to be a Close one, and I, I'm taking Georgia, like a 27-21 type of game. I, for one, am stunned at your uh, prediction here. Hey, don't even put put this like a homer thing. I'm not. I, I, I'm, not I I'm not. I just went into today not expecting you to pick Florida. Which I, is, I can't. Yeah. I can't bet against Kirby Smart until Dan Mullen beats him. You know what I mean? I think to this point, it's fair. Like yeah. Florida had a. Florida had a good offense last year. Not that they are as explosive as they necessarily were this year, but it seems like they're kind of the same thing. Like they very productive in the passing game, but just don't have that workhorse. And so far, you know, I will give them credit because in terms of yards per carry, Florida's been one of the better teams in the SEC in terms of yards per carry, but it, it's getting the ball to Kadarius Tony and other receivers and just kind of these reverses and jet sweeps and just finding a way to kind of supplement the run game. And that might work against Ole Miss, and it might work against Texas A&M or, you know, whoever they play that I'm blanking on, right, South Carolina. But I just don't think that's going to work with Georgia. Like, I, I just think Georgia is a much better tackling team than any of, the, the, uh, any of those other teams. Granted, Richard LeCount being out could be huge, uh, a huge loss in that regard. But I think, I think Florida just – I think Georgia's going to have what it takes to get it done. Might not be the the prettiest game, but I think they get it done. Okay. Okay. Um, we'll have to see. I would not be surprised if I'm wrong, but if I'm a Florida fan and you don't do it this year, you're like, what are we doing? Is it ever if it's not this year, what are we doing? Like and there's I th- yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Like with with Trask and Pitts and whoever I think they have like three or four yeah, seniors. Yeah, those are all gone after this year. Line. Yeah. 
Yeah, if they don't do it this year, like Dan Mullen's seat is honestly going to probably start to get hot. And then a, a fourth straight loss to Georgia, that could definitely th- – this game is definitely like a, a crossroads for Georgia and Florida right now. Like if – like Georgia, this game I think means a lot more to Florida than it does Georgia in the terms of like – like you just said, it, if we don't beat them this year, when are we ever going to beat this team? Because – they're just building, you know, a powerhouse that we can't keep up with. But if Florida beats Georgia, then it's like, okay, that's kind of the level. The playing field has been leveled, and now this is like looking like it's going to be one of the the best rivalries in college football moving forward. And it still could be one of the best rivalries in college football moving forward. But most people consider it's not a rival if one team's just winning over and over. You know, it's it's only a rivalry when they're going back and forth. That is fair. Well, some other games that will be happening uh, this week that uh, if you, you feel free to stop me if you have uh, anything you would like to add for these games. Uh, Miami travels to NC State Friday night um, to play the Wolfpack without their starting quarterback. We got Air Force Army at 11.30 a.m. Oh, what, what time is that game? Is that a, an earlier game? That is Can an we... 11.30 a.m. game. No, we're talking um, NC State Miami. You said oh, that's Friday, Friday at right? 7.30. Okay, so we get it. That's a solid Friday night game, and then we got Boise State BYU right after. That's mm. a nice little Friday night. I'll get ready for my Saturday night uh, update. <laughs> I've got a good update for you on Saturday night. Um, we've got uh, <clears throat> let's see, we got Memphis looking to rebound uh, against South Florida at home. We got North Carolina going to Duke. Um, North Carolina no longer ranked after being in the top five like two weeks ago. It's pretty wild. Um, Nebraska. Going to Northwestern, um, Northwestern's offense looks very different, so we'll have to see what that looks like in the Big Twelve, net, Big Ten network. Iowa trying to avoid zero and three, hosting Michigan State, coming off a big win at uh, at um, on the road, excuse me, at uh, Michigan last week. So I'm interested to see how that game goes. Um, Boston caught to Syracuse, the Marshall undefeated Thundering Herd hosting UMass and Walt Bell's Minutemen. So they. Continue on their quest. Just tally on another one, man. They're going undefeated. How do you feel about Oklahoma hosting Kansas? I think Kansas is going to get it done this week, man. Shock the world. No, I'm just joking. Kansas I'm surprised your Cincinnati Bearcats did not make the pick this week because they are hosting Houston at 3.30 on ABC. Sneaky good game at 3.30. That's a, yeah, that's a sneaky good game, but I think... With what Houston, with what Cincinnati did to SMU and, and Memphis, they're they're gonna beat the brakes off Houston, honestly. Maryland at Penn State. Penn State will probably get their first one of the season there. Um, Texas Tech at TCU. Hey, don't I, be discounting to a junior, man. That's true. Don't discount him. Um, the worst game of the week. So excited to watch the highlights of this one. Mississippi State will be hosting Vanderbilt. Man, someone's going to have to score some points. Someone's like, going to have to win this game, and I yes. can't wait to see who. Exactly. What a terrible game. Oh, poor SEC Network. This is like the ultimate Jefferson Pilot Sports game, by the way. And Nothing you see this spread? This. Mississippi State is a 19-point favorite. Mississippi State is terrible, <laughs> and they're a 19-point favorite? Wow. I would take Vandy in that, but honestly, who knows? I th- I said the same thing with South Carolina was like a two touchdown fair on Vandy and they beat him by like 35. So not good. Um, Utah will be hosting Arizona. Um, we've got uh, Pittsburgh going to Florida state. We've got Texas A&M traveling to South Carolina. Is there any interest in uh, that game? Seven o'clock. 
South Carolina, they, they um once once Johnny Manziel broke out, I think they they wanted to make this like the fourth big. The SEC wanted to make this like the fourth big like East West rivalry. You know how George uh, Florida LSU, Georgia Auburn, Alabama Tennessee. I feel like they saw this being like the fourth marquee game. South Carolina has yet to beat Texas A&M since joining the SEC, and uh, I don't see it happening again this week. The Carl Durrell Bowl be happening the debut of that colorado is new head coach he was the former head coach at ucla like 15 years ago i'll uh, be honest i was listening to uh to a podcast earlier this week trying to like i said trying to refresh on some pac 12 and i had no idea carl durrell was the head coach at colorado <laughs> i had no idea yeah what was that that was like 10 years ago that he was at ucla right that was a, yeah, that was throw- a long time ago um, so interested to see how that goes. Rutgers goes to Ohio State. Um, Washington State goes to Oregon State. And then my favorite, 11 o'clock. We're back. Hawaii hosting New Mexico. At 11 o'clock. I love it. What are they, they going to win? Who's, who's winning that game? Oh, Hawaii. When, when does Hawaii lose? What do Rainbow Warriors do? They win football games. That's what Rainbow Warriors do. Aren't they uh, Aren't they one and one so far? Uh, irrelevant, Matt. Irrelevant. <laughs> irrelevant. Fair enough. All right. Well, that's all I've got, Mr. Green. Do you have anything else you would like to add? Oh, you didn't give us the Zeus Home Dog of the Week that we're introducing. Oh, yeah. My bad. My Home Dog of the Week is uh, Kansas State. I did say that when we were going through our pick oh, and that, that. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll get the graphic. Uh, that's I it really wasn't even my pick. You know, it was Zeus. It was Zeus's No, you pick. can't do that. I guess. Uh, yeah, okay. We'll, we'll give I was, you I was picking the team Zeus told me. Zeus said Oklahoma State going into the Little Apple, Bill Snyder Family Stadium or whatever they call that. And he's like, "No chance Oklahoma State's winning that <laughs> game by 12 and a half. Lock that in." And I said, "Zeus, I think you're on to something there. Give me give me the Wildcats." Wow. I like it. I like it. All right. For that guy, Matt Green, down there in Tequila, Georgia, we can find you at Matt underscore W underscore Green. Uh, we can follow myself at Chase double underscore Thomas. Uh, go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com and leave us a rating and a review if you like us uh, on Apple. And you're an Apple podcast listener. But anyway, uh, go do that if you can and enjoy another great weekend of college football where it seems like this is the, one of the more fuller schedules we're going to have this season. A lot of great games all weekend starting on Friday with that BYU Boise game. Uh, Matt, thank you as always and we'll be back on Sunday. Yes, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.